Thank you, worship team, um, for that great reminder of the faithfulness of God no matter um, what we're facing. I had this picture during worship in my mind of just seasons, seasons that we go through. And part of that is um, this last week, Terry and I were in California visiting her mom, and um, I was reminded of why I don't want to live in California, but that's a whole other story, um, in where specifically, more specifically, where Terry's mom lives, it's inland, and you know, by 7 o'clock in the morning, it's August, I get it's August, but by 7 o'clock in the morning, it was already over 90 degrees. Um, they're in a serious drought. It's dry. Everything is brown. It's not the... I mean, when I think of our fall and the brown our fall is, and those of you who like hunting, it, that brown is beautiful, right? <laughs> yeah. This brown is not beautiful. I'm just, I'm just saying. But as, I, as we were worshiping, I was thinking of all that, and I was thinking of seasons that we go through. I mean, we... we we, we have our, our winter, we have our spring, we have our summer, our fall, and um, there's so much we can learn from that for our own lives. There are times when in our life, seeds are being planted into us. And there's times, there are seasons of growth, and sometimes in the midst of that growth, it, we may feel like we're in a drought, or we may feel like things are growing really well, or... And there's harvest, there's times when it feels like, wow, it's just, this is awesome. And then, then there's the dormant of winter. And spiritually, we may feel and wonder, like, where, where's God right now? Um, and I think um, we all have times in our life that just feel like no matter what we try to do, we can't get ahead. I mean, may, it could be relationship-wise. Maybe it's something in your marriage or something in a relationship with a friend or a family member. It's just like every step you try to make to bring reconciliation to that, it just, oh, it doesn't, nothing works or... Um, Maybe it's, you're trying to get ahead on your finances, but every time, yeah, yeah I, I remember one year when I, Terry and I were doing church planting, and it, the church wasn't able to pay me, and we had a couple of ginormous medical things that happened, and it's just like, I'm serving the Lord, and yet my bank account is empty, and I'm actually going backwards. What, what's that all about? And I know, because I know you, and I've had conversations with many of you, it's like, yeah, I've had those moments. Or, or maybe you're going, I, I'm in that moment right now. I just feel like I can't get ahead. I want you to know, again, you're not alone. Look around, the people around you, I mean, it's, 
It's August. It's the end of the summer. Everybody's going on their last vacation, so there isn't a lot of people here right now. But look, the people around you, they are either in it or they have gone through it themselves. And there's a message for you today in our story of Jesus. We've been walking through Luke this summer, looking at Jesus and looking at what we can learn. If we're, if we're disciples of Jesus, what can we learn from Jesus that will help us in our own journey of life? This week we were to be reading Luke 21 and 22. Next week, it's the last two chapters of Luke, Luke 23 and 24. And so today, um, out of Luke 21 and 22, I'm going to focus in chapter 22, and um, this is the part of the story of Jesus where Jesus is betrayed. So the setting here where I want us to start, which is Luke 22, and we'll be starting at verse 21. I'm not going to have, today I'm not going to have the words on the screen today, so either open up your own Bible, there's Bibles in your pew Uh, So it's Luke 22, we'll be starting with verse 21, but the setting here is it's the Last Supper. So Jesus is hanging out with his 12 apostles. These are the 12 men that Jesus has been intentionally investing in to send out to bring his good news to the world, and it is the night he is being betrayed Jesus knows that, the disciples don't know that, but they're sitting there at this Last Supper. They've shared a meal, Jesus has washed their feet, Jesus has passed the bread around and said, this is the bo- my body which is given for you, take and eat of it, and he passes the cup around and says, this is the new covenant which is in my blood which has been poured out for you, and then Jesus says this crazy thing right after, right after that, he says in verse 21, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the one who betrays me. What? What a mood killer, right? You're having dinner with your 12 friends. And then you say, one of you around this table is going to betray me. Now they begin to question themselves. They begin to ask, you know, who, who is it going to be? Is it, is it me, you know? I mean, or is it somebody else? I mean... It's got to be Peter, right? Peter's got to be the one. He's kind of gregarious. I'm sure he's going to be the one. Or maybe it's James, or maybe it's James' brother, John. Uh, It could be him, or, you know, which which James or which John? Well, is it the sons of Zebedee who call themselves the sons of thunder? I mean, are they the ones that are going to be portrayed? Because it's definitely not going to be me that portrays betrays Jesus, and on this table is Judas, and he already knows. He already knows. He's been there through this whole dinner, and he already knows, because if you look at the beginning of Luke 22, it says that um, Satan came into Judas 
And Judas went and talked to the high priest and made a deal. So in this moment, arguing about or discussing about who is going to be the one to betray. And then verse 24, right, right along in this, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be greatest. Seriously? Again, the, the picture, Jesus hanging out with his disciples, the 12 he's just invested three years with, and he says one of them is going to betray, and so they're having this discussion who it is, and that discussion goes from who's going to be to betray and who is now, I'm the greatest. It's definitely not going to be me that betrays because I've got to be Jesus' favorite, right? I mean, look at all that I did for Jesus while we were hanging out for three years. I mean, really? These are the men that Jesus is going to entrust with the message of the kingdom of God. There's some hope for you and me in this journey of being messengers of the gospel. There's an aspect of the kingdom of God that the disciples don't fully understand right now. And we're on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So we, we, we see it from, you know, looking back. But they don't see that yet. But Jesus stops the conversation, and in verse 25 he says, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercised authority over them call themselves benefactors. So Jesus stops this conversation by reminding them, you see these kings, these rulers over the Gentiles, here's the way they rule. They rule by power over. They rule by lording it over, by dominating, by exercising control over people. There's, there's a Latin phrase, Pax Romanus, which means the peace of Rome. This is the way Rome got their peace, by powering over. They had laws, and if you disobeyed those laws, boom, they take you out. We, we're, we have peace, but the peace is based on fear and somebody powering over and ruling you. And Jesus says, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercised authority call themselves benefactors. I think Jesus is kind of throwing a little sarcasm in here because benefactors in, in Jesus' time, these, these are people who um, are doing service for their country, or for their city. So it's like a politician. Can, you know, I mean, politicians are starting to be on our, you know, airwaves again, right? It's that time of the year. But politicians, generally, not, not all politicians, but it, 
I, I'm your benefactor. I'm going to make it better for you. And then they, when they get elected, they go and they rule their own way. They do what's best for them. And so Jesus is kind of saying, these kings of Gentiles, they say they're giving you peace and protecting you. And they say they're your benefactor. They're serving for you. But no, that's not what they're doing. They're ruling over you to control you, to power over you to dominate you and in verse 26 Jesus says but you are not to be like that don't dominate people don't power over people don't try to control people don't control them and then say you're their benefactor it's so good for me to to control you don't do that. Instead, Jesus says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. So in other words, in that culture, the youngest are the bottom of the totem pole, the servants are the bottom of the totem pole. Be like them. Even if you have a position of authority, don't act like it. Be like one who is a servant. And then Jesus asks him a question in verse 27. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I among you am among you as one who serves. In that time, we, we don't see that for us, but they had servants, and the, the people who sat around the table, they were more important than the servants, so they were greater, and the disciples would know this. And so Jesus is saying, even if you're like the one at the table who is greater, um, be like the one who is the servant. And he even says it this way, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus, this rabbi of ours, this teacher, this one who we want to be with and be like and do what he does, he came to serve and not be served. We are to come into the world in every situation we are in and serve. And then Luke tells us that right in the middle of this conversation, he looks at Simon Peter, verse 31, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not, be, may not fail, and when you have you turned back, strengthen your brothers. Couple things I want to notice from these two verses. One, um, in verse 31, some of your translations may say Satan has asked to sift you out. The NIV and some others say sift all of you out. And the reason for the difference is the Greek word for you in this spot is plural. So really, what Jesus is saying is Simon, Satan, Satan has asked to sift you, the 12 of you, out. Okay? He, 
That's, that's what Satan wants to do. These are your 12, which you are going to send into the world to proclaim your kingdom. Jesus goes to God and says, I want to sift them out. The other thing notice is, yes, Satan does have access to be able to converse with God. It's, it's, it's the Job story again where Joe, Satan comes to, Joe, or to God and says, hey, Job is righteous only because you protect him. Take your hand off him and let me deal with him. And we know that story. Jesus prays for Simon. We know from Romans 8, 34, that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. So he is interceding for us. But notice what he does pray and what he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray that Satan would stop the sifting. He doesn't pray for that. He prays that Simon would not lose his faith. So that in the midst of whatever is going on, in the midst of this hard thing, Simon doesn't walk away. The other thing I want us to notice is that Jesus already tells, or tells Peter what the outcome is. It says, when you have turned back, it's like Jesus is speaking prophetically into Peter's life. He doesn't say, if you turn back. He says, hey, Satan has asked to sift you all. I'm praying that you don't lose your faith. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. A couple of things that we can apply to our own lives around this. When I say yes to Jesus, to follow him, know that Satan will sift you out. He, he will go to God and say, hey, this, this person who says, I'm all in for God, let's see if he's really all in for God. Especially if you commit to some place of leadership within the church or in ministry where or you you're making specific decisions for your family that you are going to engage the world and uh, bring God's love into the world and you're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ in, into the world know that Satan is going to sift you out see this all the time. People feel called by God on their life. They step out in faith. Hard stuff happens. They don't see fruit from their work. It seems like drudgery. And they stop. They walk away. This is true. This sifting out. Not just of individuals. I, I believe that Satan will sift a church out. Satan is in the process of sifting the big C church out. People step out of, in faith. 
experience hard stuff and they lose their faith. And just a reminder that Jesus is more concerned about your faith than your being comfortable and having all the good things. But here, here's the promise. Just, just like Jesus said to Peter, and when you come back, here's some words that we can hang on to in the midst of this sifting. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things... God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So if you're in the middle of a really hard season, know this, that God knows, and he will work all of that out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, for those who don't lose faith, Another promise, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that he's working on me all the way until Christ comes again or he, Christ takes me home. <laughs> yeah, I know, Mary, I still have a lot of work to do. But it, he, no matter what, he continue to work it out. Then right after all of this, because Peter's response to this sifting is, Jesus, I will die for you. I'll go to prison for you. Can't you hear Peter? You know, I'm the greatest. I would never deny you. I would never betray you. I'm the greatest. I would go to prison for you. And Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Verse 34. Wow. Talk about taking the wind out of your sails, right? And starting with verse 47, we see Jesus being arrested, being brought before the high priest. We see Peter following behind. We see him around the people who are there. We see three different times, three different people come up to Peter and say, aren't you one of those who follow Jesus? And three times Peter says, no, not me. And at the end of that Third time, verse 61 says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine being Peter? I would die for you. I'd go to prison. And then all of a sudden, he says, No, one more time. And the rooster crows and he looks and he sees Jesus, and Jesus is meeting him eye to eye. Can you feel the failure running through his veins? I have failed. Verse 22, and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Have you ever denied Jesus? I mean, maybe, maybe it isn't, you know, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe that wasn't it. 
Maybe it's as simple as you were around some people who don't love Jesus and you began to act more like those people and do what they did. Maybe do what they said. Maybe you had an opportunity to talk about Jesus with somebody and you, you didn't. You just you stopped. Then maybe you walked away from that and just going, oh. The good news is that there is redemption for Peter and there's redemption for you and me. Jump over to the Gospel of John because Luke doesn't address this redemption or this Jesus coming back and um, reinstating Peter, so to speak. So in John chapter 21, starting with verse 3, Peter is with six other disciples, and in verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Okay, so he's a fisherman by trade. He left that all, spent three years following Jesus. Everything has fallen apart. He has denied Christ. Christ has died. Christ has rose again. Christ has appeared to them a couple of different times, but they're lost. And you got to know, for this period of time, whatever this period of time, it had to have been eating Peter up inside. He would be replaying that moment of saying, no, I wasn't with him, rooster crows, and he looks at Jesus. He had to have been playing that over and over in his mind and how he failed Jesus. So he goes and does what he knows he can do, and that is he goes fishing. They're not having any luck. They're not catching any fish. And all of a sudden, there's this person standing on the shore. And this person calls out to them, verse 5, it's Jesus. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answer. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish. John, who was with them, says to Peter, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And Peter does the greatest thing in the world. He jumps out of the boat and goes running after Jesus. And Jesus feeds him breakfast. Takes some bread and fish. Sits down and feeds him breakfast. And while they're eating breakfast and they're sitting around, we have heard this story before. Jesus says to Peter three different times in different ways, Simon, do you love me? And Simon goes, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then at the end of this, Jesus says to Peter again, Follow me. 
So you you see this three-year life cycle. It starts with Jesus saying to Peter, follow me. And Peter drops everything and follows him. Spends three years. And then in this short window, Peter denies Christ. He feels like it's all done. He's gone through this horrible thing. And Jesus comes back, standing on the shoreline and saying, hey, have you caught anything? How about doing this? He sees it to the Lord. He goes running back to the Lord. And the Lord says, do you love me? And when Peter says yes, then Jesus says, follow me. I've shared many times hear about our time in St. Cloud, St. Cloud and the church plant, that was a sifting for me. And I remember one of the times that was a Jesus standing on the shoreline for me was when we had gone to a different church. And I, I got a job at another church. I don't know how, it, I went from this church plant where I felt like a failure all right? Everything was falling apart. Somehow this church of 2,500 hired me to be their groups pastor. I don't know how I got the job. Other than, in this story, there was Jesus saying, Hey, have you caught anything? How about trying this? And about six months into my time at this church, there was a couple that we had gotten to know named Todd and Mary. And... Todd was one of the elders, and Mary was a prayer warrior. And we found out from Todd and Mary that they had been praying for us for well over a year before they even knew us. You see, Mary had a niece who had a friend had a friend who's a niece. Here we go. Clarify. One of Terry's best friends from Wilmer when we were a youth pastor, Lorna. Her niece had a friend who was was Mary. I should just have Terry come up here and tell the story, right? Okay, I got it now. Lorna's niece, was, was friend, was Mary. Mary and Todd were at this church. And so Lorna had been praying for us through this really hard time. And Lorna tells her niece, you got to pray for this Brad and Terry from St. Cloud. They're having a really time. So the niece is praying. She meets with Mary on a regular basis for prayer. She says, hey, there's this Brad and Terry in St. Cloud. They're going through a really hard time. you got to pray for them. Mary and Todd are praying for us. And Todd is sitting in, it was my final interview, it was all of the governing elders and then uh, the senior pastor and the executive pastor who were in this room, and Todd is one of those governing elders, and he says he looks at this application, and he sees the name Brad and Terry, and he goes, they're from St. Cloud, and I was open about my story, we're going through a really hard time. He goes home and he says, Hey, Mary, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you about this, but could you find out? Is this the same Brad and Terry? So Mary calls Lorna's niece, and Lorna's niece calls Lorna, and it is. So here we are. Six months later, we're back there. Jesus was with us even in the hardest time. 
It was like Jesus was standing on the shore going, Hey, Brett, have you tried this? And my only response, our only response, was, has been to jump out of the boat and run after Jesus and follow him. So this morning, if you feel like you're going through a time of sifting, a time of struggle, where you feel like you can't get anywhere, um, I want to encourage you that Jesus is interceding for you right now to the Father. And his prayer may not be what you want it to be, but his prayer is that you don't lose your faith, so don't Lose your faith. Even if you've had moments where you've, you've cried out to God and maybe even said some bad things and you're crying out to God, it's okay because Peter did, okay? Know this, that Jesus is standing on the shore and he's saying, hey, what about this? And I want to encourage you to keep running to Jesus and every time you feel like Jesus is saying, do you love me? Just say yes. And every time he says, follow me, just say yes. Because we have a promise that God will work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that, um, who, that you're interceding for us, that you are always pursuing us, that you are always coming to us, even, even when we deny you at times, even when our faith is weak or we may even have lost faith for a time. You continue to love us. So I pray for each person in this room, that they would hear you calling out to them. In the midst of whatever it is, they would hear you calling out to them and they would say yes to you again and again and again and again. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand for the benediction, and if you, after the benediction, need prayer, for whatever it is, if you need prayer, uh, come forward, I'm, and I'll ask some of our prayer team to come on up here, any of our elders and their wives, if they want to come up, um, we'll, we'll be up here, but we would love to pray for you. So let's receive the benediction. Let's just hold out our hands. Now I pray that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that he would enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you may know the hope that he's called you to. The glorious inheritance that you have with all the saints and his incredibly great power which raised Christ from the dead. And may all God's people say, Amen. Go in peace.